I'm Scott Thompson. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message, 905-529-7165, and take a peek at the website, andyanddon.com. There you can hear old shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Hey, Good Scott. to see you Good all. See you. Yeah. Uh, starting things off with a magic number for financial independence. You got it. Wow. I guess it changes for everybody. It's very different for everybody. Um, the biggest thing, we get this question asked to us all the time, how much money do we need? Yeah. And uh, you know, to be honest, it comes down to how much money do you spend? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Or owe. Yeah. Or, <laughs> and they, true enough, if you're in debt, mm-hmm. that's a whole nef- different ball game too. If you're in debt while retired, you say, okay, there's a payment I have to make too. So it's kind of interesting. They, they, they took a poll and they figure mm-hmm. out, okay, right across Canada, what is that magic number. Mm-hmm. Now, it's kind of interesting. Just because you have money doesn't mean you have to retire either. Yeah. And that's the nice thing about financial independence. It means you have the choice to Option, retire. Yeah. And that's such a great feeling. Mm-hmm. You actually say, okay, you know what? I really enjoy my job or I really want to do this hobby instead. Mm-hmm. I want to keep active. I want to have purpose. I want to wake up and certain... I like to have certain time restraints. Um, too much. Sometimes that freedom is almost too good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a holiday is one thing, but knowing you wake up in the day and there's nothing yeah. particular on your agenda and that lasts for months. Some people are saying, what are you talking about, Don? This is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, others have struggled with that. But it's interesting that that number, what is that number? Um, and it's a lot of people throw that, oh, you need a million dollars. And I got to say, it's probably not far from that because if you had a million dollars, 4%, of a million dollars is 40,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And you gotta pay tax on that. Mm-hmm. Now, if you can split that with a spouse, that certainly makes a big difference because now you're able to take on that person's deductions and pension credits and age credits. Mm-hmm. Makes a big difference of you know, a common law or a spouse. Mm-hmm. But, if it, but if it's single, it's certainly more, exp- you may even need more money. Mm-hmm. Okay, but again, then you don't have the same life, you may not spend as much because there's only one year versus two. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting. Went right across Canada in this poll. They pulled 2,000 people on this. And uh, where do you think the most expensive was, Scott? Uh, Most expensive to retire? Yeah, most expensive area in Canada. I'd say BC. You nailed it, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like everybody knows Vancouver. No wonder it's utopia. (laughs) Yeah, true (laughs) enough. Yeah, you got the big mountains and uh, great life. And uh, and a little bit more moderate weather, too, for that matter. They figure they need 1.07 million. Yeah. So just over a million dollars to retire. Now the national average is about 787,000. Mm-hmm. Okay. But this is the weird thing. If you look at the average, Albertans think they need about 916,000. Can I ask a question? Sure. Would this be what you would need to retire now as opposed to what you may need at 65? Uh, that's a great question because yeah. you have to add inflation to right, this yeah. because obviously your, your lifestyle is, right. is bumped up. So if it's 20 years from now, that number may be double that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great question. Um, this is right now, right, right now. Right. And because there's this kind of this 4% rule. And as I mentioned, uh, at, on a million dollars, that's 40,000 a year, but you have to index that every year. Yeah. And returns, they're vol- they can be volatile as we are more aware of, and I'm going to get into that in a second. So you need to be able to weather the downturns too, but at the same time, you know, the cost of a hydro went up and you're, you're paying for it. The yeah. cost of cable went up, the, the cost rather, you, you want to travel and, and so forth. And for that matter, the early retirement years are often more expensive than the later retirement years because mm-hmm. you're more active, you have your health and you want to do some more traveling. So you look at Alberta and they figure they need about 916,000. Saskatchewan, Manitoba think they need 907,000. Ontario needs 872,000. 
So I'm going through all these numbers and they're all above the national average of 787,000. Well, then you get to Quebecers. They think they need 427,000, <laughs> okay? They are way off the mark on this one. This, this It's almost an outlier. They're bringing down the average. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting because 427,000, that's a little over 16,000 a year income. Mm. You try to live on it 16,000 a year. Yeah. And I think what happens is people get kind of, uh, you know, romanced with the number yeah. without really figuring out what does that number mean? What kind of income can it generate? Yeah. It's like just a big number. Maybe they're used to a socialist government. <laughs> no, possibly. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, possibly, you know, and that's part of it is the old age, um, age, old age security. Yeah. But again, Canada Pension Plan would be added into this. Right. But people generally do not want to take a cut in lifestyle just because they are now 65. Yeah. If anything, every day is a weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they got more time. This is an interesting thing is based on your gender. Do you think men believe they need more money or women believe they need more money? Women. It's, that would make sense because they live longer. That's okay. exactly what my reasoning was, Don. <laughs> they, it would absolutely make sense. You know, it it's not the, that they spend more or anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> no. It's not like no, they go no. shopping more. That's it, not the problem. Is their life expectancy is usually a few years longer. So you figured they would think they'd need more money. Mm -hmm. And generally speaking, they're a little bit more conservative. Yeah. Okay, I would suggest um, that testosterone effect, if you will. And uh, so they often say, I'd rather be safe and have more money. Turns out that men think they'll need 942000 to retire on. Well, women think they need only 650. Could that because Could that be due to the gender gap in wages? Or not the gender, yeah, the gender Possib gap in wages. Possibly, yeah. possibly could be. And I, you know, they didn't get into it right. that detail. Yeah. But that's a massive difference. There's, yeah. That's basically two-thirds of what men believe they need. Yeah. And yet they're going to live longer. So even in this particular report, they're... They're looking at this saying, well, if anything, it should be the other way around. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so there's a lot of ways to create financial independence. And, and we've come across this a lot of times is, is simply saving. You got to save some money here. And so what's the way to save money is spend less on non-essential items. And that came out 75% of the time. People had, that's the way I'm going to save money. I'm just going to focus on the things I need to spend money on, the mm -hmm. essentials. Yeah. And... I'll cut back on the non-essentials, okay? Another one, eat out less. Mm -hmm. That's a huge one. Yeah. I can't tell you enough on that one. That, yeah. that one there can literally make or break a person's retirement. Yeah. Whether they have enough money or they don't is how much they eat out. Really? It's absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, the ones that get into trouble you know, financially, credit card expenses, et cetera, it's often looking, you go back and you say, wow, you, know, I mean, you got to cut back on the eating, you know, dining out. All right. Um, it's costing you fortune. So actually 60% cited that as the reason. Postponing major purchases, but 45% suggested that. That's actually a good one. You look at something like a car. Well, do I need to buy it every third year, like a lease? Mm -hmm. Or the way the cars are lasting these days, maybe I can last 10 years. Yeah. And if you now are putting off that purchase, I know it's going to be worth less by putting it off, yeah. but depreciation rather than is a lot more expensive. So if you keep buying three-year-old cars all the yeah. time, yeah. that cost in the front end is mm -hmm. huge. Yeah. And if you can say, okay, I'm going to spend $30,000 every 10 years versus every three years or five years, makes a massive difference on, on your retirement. And, to, and cut back on travel on now so I can travel. I actually disagree with that. Okay, why would you want to travel you know, less now? Yeah. Um, you got your health. You have exactly. the, Like if anything, I would suggest you probably want to get into a lifestyle to see what you really like. Mm -hmm. Why do you say, oh, I'm going to wait till I'm 65 and then I'm going to start my traveling? Yeah. You don't even know if you like travel if you're not. Yeah, <laughs> no. yeah, yeah. 
So it, it's interesting, uh, but l using all the ways to try to save money, certainly paying, eliminating debt is one, okay? If you're gonna be frugal, so paying off that mortgage. But if you're just focusing on the mortgage, debt pay down, you're not accumulating assets other than the equity in your house. Mm -hmm. And it's a totally different mindset to say, I am paying off my house versus I am saving money. It's amazing how many people had a thousand dollars a month mortgage payment or more, but as soon as the mortgage is paid, they can't save that thousand dollars a month. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. They've been doing it for the last, I don't know, 15 years mm -hmm. and they were able to pay the mortgage off. It's absolutely incredible how they can't use the same money. That's why you should just buy something else. <laughs> and that's probably what actually <laughs> happens. But you know, you, you take that, say a thousand dollars a month, put that into an RSP. Yeah, if you're in a 40% tax bracket, you know, that's uh, $12,000, uh, $4,800 tax refund. Okay, at least you got 12,000 working for it. If you want to spend that on a trip or some other luxury item, go for it. Mm -hmm. But at least you got the money working for you. Yeah. Ideally, take that money, top up your tax-free savings account. That way you're, you're almost double dipping, mm -hmm. okay? Or use that into the RESP, which yeah. you should have been doing way back anyway. Yeah. So using the government programs makes a big difference in helping you create financial independence. So at the end of the day, there, there's certainly more ways to skin a cat, if you will, in terms of trying to you know, achieve this financial independence, but don't lowball it. Don't say, okay, you know, 300,000 should be good. Well, it might've been good for your parents mm -hmm. at 10% interest rates. Yeah. But 300,000, 500,000, a million dollars at 4%. Where are you gonna get 4% first of all guaranteed? Yeah. So you have to have it into a kind of a, a mixed bag, a diversified portfolio that Andy and I have talked about for years. And there will be ups and downs that are attributed to that. Mm -hmm. So a perfect example, I, w I recently saw a client and uh, I'm not sure how many listeners have got their statements, but I would suggest most of them got their December 31st statements and they're not pretty, mm -hmm. okay? It wasn't a great year. Basically one in four years is negative. This was one of them. Mm -hmm. and it was actually not even really the year. It was a quarter, but it doesn't matter where in the year it happened. The last quarter was dismal yeah. and everything was negative in the last quarter to the point that the US market was down about six and the Canadian market was down about 11 and others fell in between there. So it's funny how averages work though. So I looked at this client's last five year return on their tax-free savings account and we didn't change their portfolio in this time and their five-year return was 1.76%. They say, that's not very good. I've only getting less than 2% a year on my money in my tax-free savings account. Mm -hmm. If we went back to September, only three months ago, their, their average return on this very conservative portfolio was 4.5%. Same portfolio, same everything, except three months difference in time. The five-year return changed by about 3%. Mm -hmm. Now, I actually then went back even one step further and says, well, I wonder what it was when we looked at it a year ago when we had our annual review. Same portfolio, other than we maxed out their TFSA, so we added another 5,500, but that doesn't really reflect in anything. Um, their return for the five-year return was 7.07%. So one-year difference, the five-year return went from 7% to 1.7%. Mm -hmm. Same portfolio, everything was the same. So does that mean, okay, well, you know, you just don't know what you're doing. We, we should change it up. Absolutely not. The same portfolio you're happy with a year ago is you're not happy with now. Right. And this is where that whole human emotion comes into play. And you really need, this is, it's, it's so interesting. I, I recently had a, a conversation with uh, my daughter and she was asking about her roommate who's looking after their own money. 
And the roommate said, you know, ask your dad what I should do. Ah. And I said, <laughs> you know, you got your money with one of these, what they, you hear on commercials all the time, one of those, um, yeah. call it competitors, but they're not giving any advi advice. So this person is really wanting to pull their money out. So now the market was down around 7% on average with all your diversified portfolio. Maybe I should pull it out now. We're in the only business when we drop our prices, mm -hmm. people run away. Yeah. If yeah. gas prices were down 7%, it says, well, I got a great deal on the gas pumps the other day. I only yeah. paid, yeah. you know, a buck a liter or what, 99 cents I crammed cents in as much as I could. Yeah, I crammed I right, to the, right to the top. I want to buy when it's low. Investments work the same way, and you really have to change your mindset. Treat it like a commodity, like gas or groceries, and you'll do a lot better. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy, Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. You can ask a question there via the listener inquiry button as well. Listen to old shows. Uh, talking about matters to consider following a death. Following a death. You know, and I I, I don't want this to be a, a negative session, <laughs> section of the yeah, show, yeah. but it is always something that, um, you know, for for everybody at different stages in life, it's sometimes it's easy to difficult uh, difficult to talk about or mm -hmm. easy to d talk about. And uh, and we all have our own mindsets around talking about death, talking about wills and, and what do we share with our children and how much information, what do I want them to know, what don't I want them to know. And, uh, and that's all great sort of when we're just kind of going through life day to day. And, but when a crisis hits, all of a sudden those questions and those prior things become priority. Yeah. And, um, you know, this is something that, uh, was a, a terrible diagnosis, but a client of mine called just before Christmas to say that he'd been diagnosed with ALS mm. and, you know, it's a, it's a bizarre disease. You just don't know how long, how much time you have, how yeah. quickly it will accelerate. And, um, uh, and so he was thinking, you know, right away, is there anything I need to do yeah. before the end of the year, yeah. you know, literally. Yeah. And, um, you know, as we sort of reviewed this and, and I thought about it and, uh, it's always good to reflect on how to be prepared for this. Sometimes when you face things head on or you sort of take the bull by the horns and you do prepare for these things, that's probably the best thing because it's mm. peace of mind. Whereas a lot of times we might turn the other way and just try to ignore it and yeah. forget about it. Um, and actually my, my wife who works in, um, with Hamilton Health Science, well, McMaster in the nursing program brought me a booklet that Hamilton Health Sciences provides under patient education. It's called Matters to Consider Following a Death. And I said, oh, that's, you know what, that's a really good piece to put or to give to somebody when, um, when the time comes and they obviously have social workers and other people that you can speak to as well in the hospital to try and, uh, help guide you through and, and deal with the, the emotions following a death. And it's, um, you know, this, this week, literally I was met with a, cl a client, son of a client of mine. He's now 65 and, uh, his wife's 62 and both his parents were, were my clients as well. Mm. And so we were just reflecting on, uh, you know, the, how simple their estate was. Yeah. And um, as so often happens with a couple, in the, in the case of uh, her, his dad, 
uh, he ended up with Parkinson's and mm-hmm. so spent quite a few years in long-term care. And um, his mom, who was right with it to the end, uh, just had lost her sight. And so eventually uh, just decided that, you know, she gave up. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And, but they were able to live side by side, basically in mm. one one area of the long term care facility, and she mm. was in a different area. But mm. they, she could visit on a daily yeah. basis without any issues. But at the time, you know, when she passed, and then uh, he actually passed after her, everything had been set up in either joint ownership or with beneficiaries. So they didn't even they didn't need to probate the will. Yeah. Everything was very straightforward. And uh, and so we were talking about his their situation this week, and just saying, well, if I if I kill you off. You know, Ken, what what yeah. are you going to be? Yeah. Do you have your will set up? Is mm-hmm. it all? What does it look like? Who's getting what? How to simplify things? And that was important to them. They have two children and wanted to make sure that um, they maximize what gets transferred to the next generation. And so this is something that Don and I face. Uh, that's a transition of life, mm-hmm. and we end up having to talk to people about this all the time. And I guess the more you deal with it, the more comfortable you get talking about it. It must no be difficult, it, though. Uh, you know what you it had, feels? It just feels these... like a professional conversation today. Yeah. Where I would say, when I first started in the business, mm-hmm. it was something that was more uncomfortable. I hadn't really experienced a lot of death yeah. in my life, and yeah. so now having had clients that have passed and family members that have passed, and you can understand the grieving process a little better. Mm-hmm. It makes a lot more. It makes it much easier for us to be professional around it and deal with the, the real facts. And if I can mention something, and we've talked about this many times, and and I have as a client of you guys that. Um, what's, what's great about having financial planners such as yourselves, it, it's, it's, it's over and above just investing money and looking after your retirement. Mm-hmm. It's talking to you when there's a major purchase or a change or, or, or something of that uh, nature, insurance and such. Here's just another example mm-hmm. yeah. of yeah. someone who can hold your hand when you're going through these extremely difficult times in life and yet having to make incredibly important decisions, often, as you said, at the last minute or, or, you know, having to suddenly. And, you know, this is a time, and, you know, as we get older, we've all been through it. This is a time when you need somebody who's strong and stable and can give you advice and and help walk you through this from a financial perspective. And And there's just another reason. Yeah, thanks, Scott, and I appreciate that Mm -hmm. because this is, well, we we, we start taking it for granted, these things that we do, Mm -hmm. uh, because we do them on a regular basis. Uh, I had a situation, and anytime you're talking about death, there's a lot of emotion, a lot of emotion, and emotion and money never go well together. So I, I know I had to sit in a meeting. I didn't have to sit, and I was asked or requested to sit in the meeting, and I said, absolutely. The lady was diagnosed with cancer, and she wasn't given a lot of time. And we went through in about a a two-and-a-half-hour meeting, the three of us. She had to get up and down due to pain. And it wasn't really a dry eye in that meeting for a whole. It was a very difficult meeting. At the end of the day, she laid out all the finance. She was really looking after the finances in that family. Mm -hmm. And between the three of us, Mm -hmm. her husband and and herself and myself, we went through the plan, including what we do with the kids, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So she had the peace of mind. Yeah. yeah. Knowing how yeah. the next stage would, how things would take place. So mm-hmm. she looked after that part. She felt like she, she did her job. Right. And whether she's in charge or the husband's in charge, it's nice to have that plan in place yeah. to give them the peace of mind and to be accurate without the emotion taking place of really what they should be doing. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it's, a, it's about being prepared in many ways. And, and you know, it was... I felt uh, very, it was very heartfelt that this gentleman's almost, not his first call, but mm-hmm. his most important call came to me about what to do. Exactly. And, and I don't know if you guys yeah. realize that, but 
in when someone is in that position you guys would be a rock that's yeah. what you know mm-hmm. and i don't know if you appreciate how much that would mean to somebody to have you in their corner saying you know thank you for guiding me through this yeah it's true and you know and i could hear his uh wife was in the background talking and asking this and just yeah. hanging on every word just to know yeah. what you know what do we do next and yeah. what what are what's the priorities now? yeah that that's a great service yeah. right there so and, and there's a lot of a life events and, and again the mm-hmm. last life event would be yeah. death playing where whether it's we're yeah. going to weddings yeah. or um, yeah. Again, the other end of it, of That's course, true. and, and births and RESPs. You know, I, I'm going to a gentleman's retirement party next week, mm. and he's excited to have me there because he felt I was a very large part of getting him to that stage. Wow, that's so cool. So I'm, I'm, I'm going there. But then the next step, of course, is now we're looking at estate planning. Yeah, and it's yeah. all unfo- it, it's how life unfolds. Yeah, yeah. So it, I thought this was an excellent piece that uh, Hamilton Health Science has put together, and obviously there's pieces available online, etc. But just something to have in your hand to look mm-hmm. at while you're contemplating um, the future in, in, in a death as well, obviously. But this is, um, you know, it just starts right at the beginning, and it talks about funeral arrangements. You yeah. know, where do I start? And uh, for, if you haven't already prearranged a funeral or, or made any decisions about that, um, the, one thing they mentioned right away: funeral ho- homes are open. 24 hours a day. So they will mm-hmm. accept your call yeah. at any time. Uh, so if it was a sudden death and now you need to make the call. That. I didn't know that either. Yeah. And so um, you can make the call. They will arrange for transporting the deceased mm-hmm. from the hospital to the funeral home. And you can also, and obviously there's a, the, the price of a funeral can, can yeah. be from one extreme to the other, depending yeah. on what you do. The advantage of prearranging these things, obviously, is you're taking the emotions out of it. But at the same time, just don't sign anything until you understand exactly what you're paying for. Yeah. It's too easy to get caught up in things. The low-cost funeral options, and such as cremation, a crematorium service will actually do the same thing. They'll make arrangements to come and, and uh, get the body from the hospital to the crematorium and look after that service as well. And even um, they do point out that even um, if you don't have any money, if you're very, if your net worth is 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 low enough, the city of Hamilton will actually pay for a cremation or a burial for you. You have mm-hmm. to make an application through social services, but right. that is available if you're looking after someone's affairs and mm-hmm. they don't have enough to look after the burial. Mm-hmm. But um, the things that are going to, the funeral director will need to know right away, social insurance number of the deceased, the date um, place of birth of the deceased, name of parents, if married, the date and place of marriage, and names of spouse and any children. And um, and I think that the, you know, I talked about, and it's funny, we we're just, have you done, have you done a will recently? Uh, yeah, we did about a year ago. Fantastic. Yeah. So the, I love this idea. It's just that it's in case I die envelope. Mm-hmm. And basically, <laughs> mm-hmm. basically all it is is just somewhere. All the stuff. Yeah. You need to tell your kids or your executor or somebody, you know, if case we die, mm-hmm. <laughs> there's an envelope mm-hmm. in my desk downstairs or in the drawer upstairs or wherever it is that has all of our information and who to contact. Yeah. In. And, uh, and that is, I think an important thing just because up and in talking with lawyers about this, the one thing that's come to the surface is how much online access we're doing in terms of either bill payments or financial records or, you know, even all the subscriptions and things we have. It could be a Netflix subscription. Mm-hmm. So you have all of these electronic 
connections to services and financial services that require passwords yeah. more often than not or right. usernames. Okay. So part of your in case I die envelope is uh, is also including passwords. Now we know those change, mm-hmm. right? And so many times they do have to change, but at least if you've got a starting point and if you're diligent enough to update it on an annual basis, that would be great. But you need to have some way that people can access this online world that we are creating. If you don't have that envelope, what do you do? I mean, you I know. know, can you put someone's name in and here's where their will will be, here's where, I mean, as things progress, won't you find that out? You, it, it, That's usually what ends up happening, mm-hmm. right, is either pieces of mail come in uh, on an ongoing basis that might uh, alert somebody to something. It mm-hmm. could be an annual thing yeah. that's the a subscription to something, or it could be something that's happening every month, a bill payment every month. Yeah. But clearly there's a lot of people to get a hold of right. and deal with in terms of an estate. And um, so I think that the other thing to consider is, um, you know, you remembering that your power of attorney who has been looking, may have been looking after affairs while you're alive is now no, your power of attorney is no longer valid. Mm-hmm. It's only the will and the executor right. in the will. And the executor does have the final say in terms of funeral arrangements and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and an executor can petition to your uh, a bank or an institution to open up a safety deposit box right. with the right documents to try and find a will uh, or other pertinent information. So in case you don't have the just in, just in case I die envelope mm-hmm. in your home, maybe you've put it in your safety deposit box. Right. And so where do you bank and accessing that as well. Um, so <clears throat> if there's no will, then um, the Ontario government outlines various distributions that are going to happen in terms of your assets, etc. And typically that means um, things get held up and mm-hmm. it's, it's going to take yeah. much, much longer to be able to, uh, to deal with that. Um, so who needs to be, obviously the, the documents you need are going to be the will, your the director's uh, funeral director's statement of death or death certificate, uh, a marriage certificate, your birth certificates, your social insurance number, your pension numbers, your Ontario health insurance card, your bank accounts, your insurance policies, your vehicle ownership, and your credit card numbers. And uh, the other people that need to be notified, old age security, if you were receiving OAS, mm. Canada pension plan, uh, veterans affairs, etc. And, and then things that just need to get done, automobile ownership transfers. So taking the deceased vehicle in their name has to be transferred out of their name. And so you can go into pretty much any Ontario government ministry of transportation office with the right documentation, death certificate and changing ownership as well. Um, OHIP has to be canceled. Uh, life insurance, um, you know, submitting a life insurance policy, uh, finding the life insurance policy, submitting the policy plus a death certificate to the insurance company. Now, a lot of times insurance companies, if it's a small amount, they'll just pay it out and you can include a void check for an estate account and they'll pay it electronically transfer your mm-hmm. death benefit right into your bank account for larger amounts. It's typically a check that's issued and mailed or delivered. Um, employee benefits, you know, if you were still working, there might be death benefits, uh, through the employee. There may have been, um, a pension plan. There may have been a group RSP, lots of things happening, uh, or access to benefits. CRA informing Canada revenue that the person has died. Banks, uh, you know, checking the mail on a regular basis is Mm going to be key. And, um, you know, it's, it's a process that, you know, don't expect it to happen overnight, yeah. right? This is, this is a challenge because um, uh, I think most people 
as executors never realize the how the amount of work yeah. that's involved until they actually are in it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and maybe in that in case I die envelope um, passwords. The passwords yeah, for yeah, your electronic yeah. access, yeah, like for, you know, And there's, that's a whole new area that takes a lot of time. Yeah. And it's interesting how many things keep coming in. And uh, it's, it'd be a lot easier if you just had that information. Mm. Well, th- and, um, you, you know, so if your will, and I think the other thing too is a lot of times your will also contemplates uh, a trust. Mm-hmm. And the All trust right. might be for children that are under the age of 21 or maybe under the, you know, you might d- dictate when your children are going to get money. So the trustees that are looking after your affairs, and this is something in speaking with a lawyer said is becoming more common now, is allowing some kind of compensation to your trustees to look after the trusts that you've set up right. until the, all the money's dispersed. So I'll give you an example. You know, you've got two children and you decide that um, if we both pass away, they, uh, half the money is going to go to them uh, at age 25 and the other half is going to go to them at age 30. Mm-hmm. Well, if, if they die, if, if you die when they're 20, there's 10 years right. that somebody's going to have to look after filing uh, tax returns annually for the trust, looking at any distributions from the trust to pay for education or other costs associated for the children until it's dispersed, um, looking after meeting annually with a fin- their financial planner or investment advisor to review what's going on in the trust, the investments, is there any decisions we need to make there? Mm. So it's, it's, and then reporting back to the trustees or to the beneficiaries as well in terms of information, where does it stand? So, you know, a lot of times people say, well, I think I'm going to pay $5,000 a year or $1,000 a year to my trustee just to look after all of that work that has to get done. Mm -hmm. So, you know, these are all little things, but in advance of doing it. um, uh, And finally, the other piece I would mention is corporations. A lot of times we're seeing people that have died, they own their own business, Mm -hmm. and winding up corporation who to yes. talk to, how best to do that, and, and and there's a lot more work and detail around that as well. So, um, and, f- and for that matter, a separate will for the corporation that's is right. in place so that you don't pay that probate fee twice. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. 905-529-7165. Call now, leave a message, they'll return your call. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. 905-529-7165. Call now. Leave a message. They'll return your call. And take a peek at the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. There you can listen to old shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. All right, talking about how to turn your passion into a retirement business. Yes, yes. And, And again... We've talked about this lots of times on the show. Is people, you know, it's not a terrible thing to get a part-time job or, or a, a small business on the side to augment your income, even if you don't need the income. If it's something you enjoy doing, it's not work. Mm-hmm. So, and a perfect example of this was way back, Colonel Sanders came up with some recipe, and wow. uh, hmm. he thought it just might be a good thing to run try a business out of this. Now, he also got his first Social Security check in the U.S. And he basically said, I can't live off this. Mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, so here Do we was. know what he did before chicken? Uh, he ran some. Um, he ran a couple restaurants. Oh, is that right? Oh, that's yes. right, too. I remember hearing that. Yep. One or two restaurants. Right. And so he, he, actually, I just believe it was one restaurant. And so he kind of perfected this, this recipe. And he said, you know what? I'm going to try franchising this. Now, he worked like crazy yeah. to get the first okay. one. 
I think it was like the hundredth one finally said, you know, I'll try it out. Mm-hmm. And he got his first license on that. Now we all know what happened to that and he did extremely well and lived a, yeah. quite a long life into his nineties, I believe, um, extremely wealthy. Now, not saying, and you may turn into the next Colonel Sanders, but even if you don't, it's you, you have a passion. That could be anything from photography to crafts to uh, websites to whatever you like to do. Um, and, and just trying to find something you enjoy doing, painting, etc., and turning that into a business. And it sounds easy. You know, if you're an employee all your life and then you say, well, that looks easy, it's kind of being like you played a little baseball and you watch the pros and say, I could do that. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh, wow, that t- 100 mile an hour fastball is a lot quicker than I thought. And so I do, you know, you don't want to jeopardize your whole retirement based on this passion that I want to start my business. So there is risks about it. And you don't want to, for, for example, you, you want to protect your retirement savings plans. Yeah. Okay. They are creditor proof. And the reason I say this specifically is because I have had a client that retired and uh, he decided to run a business and he got a lot of overhead right away. Yeah. So he had employees, he had leases, he had, you know, lots of expensive new equipment he had to buy to start his business. Well, this all costs all his money. So here's half his RSPs got devoted to starting a business. Yeah. And it failed in three years and he was wiped out. Wow. 100% wiped out. So 40 years of working for a company to build up about $600,000 and then $600 didn't last. It, it lasted less than five years for sure. Mm. Okay. And again, it wasn't from lack of trying on our mm-hmm. part. Okay. Mm-hmm. I remember speaking to this individual saying, why don't you just try doing this and said, just go small and see if it works. And there's lots of ways to go small and things such as social media sites, you know, there you can run, try to run, mm-hmm. sell things on, on different types of, uh, it's a lot easier than it used to be, whether it's Twitter, F- Facebook, Amazon, what have you, to try to sell your product, but also even doing fairs yeah, um, and any kind of home shows, very little cost. Mm-hmm. Do a few prototypes, for example. I have a, currently have a client of mine that is trying to run a, a little business. He's retired currently and he's done a, a prototype. Mm-hmm. He might invest in full, maybe $15,000, $20,000 in this. He's willing to walk away from this. Yeah. Because if it doesn't work, he's not going to keep trying to put money into this. Right. Okay. Because he doesn't want to jeopardize his retirement. He's smart about it. At the same time, he really does think it will work. And I hope it does for his sake because it'd be a great retirement business for him. But again, start small and, and keep it simple. You know, again, you, you have to really look at how much can you afford to lose. And, and this is where, unfortunately, when it comes to a passion, right away the word passion is linked to emotion. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and this is when money and emotion, we, I said this earlier in the show, money and emotion often don't go, go well together. Whether it's the market's doing great. Look at the U.S. market. We've got to go into the U.S. now. No, no, diversify. Same with running your own business, whatever that might be. And quite often, if it is simply saying, you know what, I might want to... Uh, work at a bike shop. I have a client that loves fixing bikes mm-hmm. and uh, he, he started fixing, uh, started working at a bike shop. Mm-hmm. And then he said, you know what? I really don't use my garage much. So he started fixing neighbor's bikes in the garage. Yeah. And he, the next step, if he wanted to, would be, you know, I'm going to open up a storefront yeah. and I'll, it'll just be simply bicycle repair yeah. because cycling is taken off. Yeah. And, uh, He's excellent at it and people know it. Mm-hmm. But again, he, he, he's done it the right way. Work for somebody for a bit, find out all their mistakes, yeah, <laughs> okay, what yeah. they're doing, what they could improve mm-hmm. on. Started in home 
and he got a little bit of clientele and then carried on from there. He didn't go right to the storefront yeah. and, and take on all these costs right away. So anytime you can make a little bit of money, great. It's a good thing because also being a small business owner, you get to write off, if you have a mortgage, some of the interest on your mortgage, some of your property taxes, um, your cable bill, your cell phone. So there's a lot of deductions, but you, the idea isn't have deductions. You still want to make money. So if you even broke even and you're financially independent, not a big deal. At least you had a hobby that broke even. It's nice to make a little bit of money. And some, some people say, okay, well, you know, is it worth making $10,000? Well, first of all, this is a passion. Better than losing it. It's a lot better than losing 10000 <laughs> Yes, true enough. But $10,000, you know, how much money do you need invested in order to make $10,000? Okay. And so if you have $100,000 invested at 4%, that's not a lot of money. There's mm -hmm. 4000 So you need $250,000 at 4% to make ten grand. Mm hmm well, that means if you can make ten thousand dollars, that means you can kind of you can put that two fifty on the side somewhere and let it keep growing without touching it, and you let let your business allow your funds to grow further and have a tax plan with your financial planner to try to take out say RSPs at a low tax bracket. There's a full plan that needs to be done, and I could probably say that about anything. Okay, financial planning constantly changes, but even more so when you're running a business, we can help you out at that stage also. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. 905-529-7165. Call now. Leave a message. They'll return your call. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. And check out their website at Andy and Don, all one word, andyanddon.com there you can listen to old shows as well ask a question via the listener inquiry button permadebt permadebt that, that doesn't sound good it's not permafrost no. permadebt no. yeah permadebt <laughs> i think i'd rather permafrost <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> permafrost can get a blanket yeah or you can fly away think, from it i think you can catch permadebt i think it's uh, yeah. <laughs> it's contagious it's contagious um and and we were, I was reading an article recently uh, in the Globe, and they were talking about uh, the warning labels needed on home equity lines of credit. Mm -hmm. And um, it's kind of like buying cigarettes or alcohol or cannabis, whatever it is. It, you know, what are the what are the risks <laughs> associated yeah. with this? And um, so th there's been some research done on this, and we know that that HELOCs or lines of credit oh. are certainly can be addictive. And um, and like any drug, <laughs> some of us do are able to handle it, and some of us can't. Yeah. And uh, and so part of the analysis that um, the FCAC, the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada, wanted to highlight the dangers associated with home equity lines of credit. So they did. They started a survey uh, last year in 2018. 4,800 people were surveyed across Canada. And about a quarter of those, 26% of the 4,800, actually owned a HELOC, home equity line of credit. And of that group, 25%, about a quarter, had a plan to repay it within five to about five years. Uh, and 25% were just paying interest only. And so no plan to repay it, just making the minimum monthly payment of all. And, um, and they found out that 13% of those that had a home equity line of credit said that they frequently used their line of credit to meet payments on other debts. Oh yeah, yeah. So they're using their home equity line of credit to make payments for their mortgage mm -hmm. and to make payments on a credit card. 
And another 16% said they sometimes did this. So 13% were using it to pay mortgages or credit cards. And another 16% said they sometimes did that as well. Mm -hmm. So that's a real red flag. There's no doubt about it. And I think anybody who's doing that knows it's a red flag. Mm -hmm. And so the challenge is how do you get yourself, how do you dig out of this well? Mm -hmm. Or how do you get yourself out? And um, that on the other flip, on the flip side though, there's a lot of people that are using home equity lines of credits very prudently, using them correctly, and using them to borrow money when they know they can pay it back. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and so it, it, it's a. We'll talk a little bit about some of the reasons why you want to have one, but um, just focusing in on the dangers associated with this is is key right now too. Definitely flexible, but with the recent rise in interest rates, mm-hmm. um, and and the nice thing about mortgages is the exact opposite of the flexibility. Yes, right. You know, yeah. you have to make a payment and no the interest rates are quite a bit less right now. Yeah. Uh, substantially less and it gets paid off eventually. That's mm-hmm. right. You're always paying it off. You at have to pay l- some of it off. At least you're getting somewhere. Unless you right. refinance it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good we'll point. Let, that's we'll work. let you borrow it back again. But yeah, that's at that's least funny. work with a HELOC yeah. as, you, as we were just about to say. I'm sure the flexibility is a lot of the Oh, issue. absolutely. That's true. So once people have paid off their mortgages, HELOC's the second largest component of debts out there. Um, and in the survey, they asked nine questions about how a HELOC works. And out of the nine questions, how many do you think people got correct? Half. Three. Oh. So three out of nine questions a in third. terms of how this <clears throat> operates, a third of them. And uh, so today, based on uh, the research done, there are 3.1 million HELOCs in Canada. The average person owes about $97,000 on their home equity line of credit. And as I said, 27% are making interest-only payments. And in, in the age group wow. between 25 and 34, 41%, almost half, are making just interest-only Where payments. does that go, though? I mean, where, if you're making interest-only payments, there is no future, is there? Yeah, yeah you have to, you, you like have to be a little, you, you have to be a little nervous at night because if, what if you lost a job? Yeah. What if you got sick and couldn't work? Yeah. Um, if you're in a, if you're in a relationship, what if you split up, you know, and now how do we pay it? Like there's, there's all kinds of uh, question marks around mm-hmm. dealing with that for and, sure. And, and one of the worst things I see with the HELOCs is using them, and I like them from this fact also, is to re- to consolidate your debt, see yeah. credit card debt. Yeah, yeah, pay down stuff that's but, higher interest. But hopefully <clears throat> people learn from paying down their credit card debt. Yeah. 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 So our job as financial planners, when we'll come across people that have home equity lines of credits and as they march towards retirement, the goal is how do we, what's the plan? What's the game plan to get rid of this? Now, a lot of times people in the back of their head say, well, when I sell my home, I'm yeah. going to pay it all off then. In the meantime, it's kind of like a bank account for us. And that's kind of a reverse mortgage mentality. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. It just has to be baked into the plan and you have to understand the implications that you're eroding future right. equity out of yeah. your home as well. <laughs> and so, you know, a lot of people are using these, the number one purpose for a home equity line of credit 49%, almost half, used it for renovations. Hmm. And uh, and again, that comes back to the mentality, oh, well, when I sell my house later, I'll get this money back. 22%, Don, debt consolidation. Ah. 19% purchasing a vehicle. 19% day-to-day expenses. 14% for an emergency fund. 13% for vacation and travel. 11% towards paying for their property. And uh, 11% for financial investments as well. That's going to be an expensive vacation. Exactly. <laughs> I know. And most people, 
people do plan to pay it off within five years. About half people have a plan in place to pay it off within five years, but about another 20, 30%, either it's over five years, they figure, or 10, and in some cases, never. And uh, But in, an, in a home equity line of credit, the main things that I see people to advantage of using it, if you can use it properly, it might be to act as a reverse mortgage that we talked about. Mm-hmm. It might be for a lump sum. Uh, you may want to do some, inve- uh, if you need some cash, mm-hmm. instead of selling your investments when things are down, like right, right now, yeah. it might bridge you through the opportunity to let your investments grow. It might be um, uh, easier to set it up prior to retiring. Sometimes that's more yeah. of a challenge after you retire. And I often see people coming back to us, you know, I need to make a loan to a family member, a son or a daughter. Right. And this is a great way to separate out a loan that's specifically connected to one child yeah. and have them make the payments back to it. So in your retirement, figure out a plan. We got to get rid of that home equity line of credit and we need to understand how you're dealing with it on a daily basis. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, we'll see Scott. You next week. Thanks, Scott.